Hello and welcome to Ideas Matter, the podcast from BOI Charity that explores the important ideas and intellectual trends that are shaping the world today. In this, the fifth podcast in our series on race and racism, which was the theme of our recent Academy Online event, we feature the talk, The Troubled Universalism of the Souls of Black Folk. The Souls of Black Folk was published in 1903 by W.E.B. Du Bois, the American sociologist, historian and author, and a giant figure amongst those who were fighting back against racial oppression in the United States during the first half of the 20th century. Today, identity politics and campaigns such as decolonizing the curriculum are built around emphasising racial difference rather than our common humanity. So at a time when universalism has fallen distinctly out of fashion, what can we learn from revisiting this seminal work from Du Bois? The talk is by Brendan O'Neill. Brendan is the editor of the online magazine Spite and a writer for numerous publications, including The Sun, The Spectator and The Australian. He's a regular commentator in the broadcast media on the likes of Sky News and the BBC, and he's host of the Brendan O'Neill Show podcast. A few weeks ago, I was reading about the decolonize the curriculum movement. Decolonize the curriculum, of course, is is an identitarian movement that wants university courses to focus less on dead white European men and more on um, black writers, writers of color, and what are sometimes referred to as international writers. And its argument is that black students and black people more broadly need texts that speak directly to them. They need books by authors who look like them. They need books uh, which contain experiences and ideas that they can more readily relate to than they can the experience and ideas uh, written about in high white culture, as they refer to it. As a professor at Oxford put it, black students must be able to recognize themselves in what they read and study or else they will feel cheated and demeaned. And I was really struck uh, reading about this, uh, reading this report, because I found out that one of the leading decolonized movements, the one at uh, at Edinburgh University, was arguing for this book that we are discussing today to be put on the English curriculum, Du Bois' The Souls of Black Folk, published in 1903. And its argument was that the English department at Edinburgh needed diversification it was unreasonable to expect students to engage with so many white authors. Uh, They also need to engage with people like Du Bois where they might recognize themselves. And the reason I was surprised by this is not because I think uh, the souls of black folks should not be on even more university courses. I absolutely think it should. I think everyone should read this book. I was surprised because The Souls of Black Folk runs so fantastically counter to the ideology of decolonize the curriculum and to the broader ideology of identity politics. It made me wonder if decolonize activists have even read it because Du Bois book contains, in my view, some of the finest arguments you're likely to read against the idea of black specific culture and against the idea that high culture is a white phenomenon that black people cannot relate to. And one of my favorite passages in the book um, touches on this very question. In the chapter on the training of black men and the question of what kind of education 
black men are fit for. Du Bois really pushes his critique of those in his time who were saying that blacks only require basic education and industrial training. And he touches on his own personal experience, his personal experience of higher education and higher culture. And in this particularly moving passage, he says the following, I sit with Shakespeare and he winces not. Across the color line, I move arm in arm with Balzac and Dumas. From out the caves of evening that swing between the strong-limbed earth and the tracery of the stars, I summon Aristotle and Aurelius, and they come, all graciously, with no scorn or condescension. And what I think is so important about that passage in particular, you know, Du Bois' belief that Shakespeare does not wince at him or at the black reader more generally, I think it, what's important about that is it really captures the central thread of Du Bois' writing, which is its universalism, its agitation against any kind of accommodation to segregation or low expectations, and its argument for the right of black folk, as Du Bois calls them, to assimilate into the spoils of civilization, or as Du Bois puts it, to become co-workers in the kingdom of culture. And to those in his time in the late 1800s and early 1900s who argued that black people needed a targeted form of culture, one that was specific to their needs and their capacities, Du Bois said, we daily hear that an education that encourages aspiration, that sets the loftiest of ideals and that seeks as an end culture and character rather than breadwinning is the privilege of white men and the danger and delusion of black men. And his riposte to those people was to say that in fact, it is only through assimilation into the kingdom of culture that self-knowledge and self-improvement can truly occur. As he says, wed with truth, I dwell above the veil. The veil of course is the veil of color separating blacks from whites in post-slavery America. For Du Bois, that veil was best lifted via assimilation, uh, assimilation into the American Republic's political universe and also into its kingdom of culture. I think it's worth dwelling on this as we discuss Du Bois' book uh, today, uh, this question of how his critique of the idea that high culture was for white men and would prove dangerous or at least mystifying to black men how that critique has given way to uh, uh, the opposite, the polar opposite, to a new radical idea that says high culture is damaging or at least mystifying to black people, and therefore they need something more targeted. They need, essentially, they need release from the kingdom of culture. That is what the decolonized movement is essentially calling for. What does that shift tell us about the crisis of universalism? What does it tell us about the changing understanding of race and identity? So I'm sure that many of you um, have read The Souls of Black Folk in preparation uh, for today's discussion. Uh, du Bois, of course, was a late 19th and early 20th century sociologist, historian and civil rights activist. Um, this book that we're talking about, which is a collection of his essays and articles, was published in 1903 and it contains some of his most important and influential 
uh, ideas, and I want to dwell on a few of those uh, in the next 15 minutes. The book, in substance, is about the period between emancipation and 1900. And it's about the successes and more importantly, the failures of assimilating the freed men and the freed women into the life and culture of America. But beyond that, uh, beyond that specific sociological focus on life for black people after slavery, it is also about the struggle to be human. And uh, one of my favorite lines in the book is, is life not more than meat? And uh, one of Du Bois' great concerns is the question of how we nurture the following, the sovereign human soul that seeks to know itself and the world about it. So although the book details often graphically uh, the kind of lives none of us could imagine, you know, the, the, the grinding poverty and the racial dehumanization of blacks in post-slavery America, it also speaks profoundly to the broader question of what it means to be human, what it means to become fully human, and what a struggle it is to become human in a society more often devoted to commerce than to self-realization. That is at the heart of Du Bois' work, and that's why this book speaks to us still and why it should absolutely be on university curricula around the world. Um, the book contains Du Bois' most famous line. He said, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. The color line was a phrase first used by Frederick Douglass, and it refers, of course, to the continued segregation of blacks and whites following emancipation. And Du Bois is very clear and singular in his view of how the color line might be erased. He says that it can be done through assimilation of black people into mainstream life. And he even goes so far as to call for conformity or to use the word conformity. He says, uh, uh, we must foster and develop the traits and talents of the Negro in order to bring about a large conformity to the greater ideals of the American Republic. In Du Bois' view, Blacks are not fully human without assimilation into the American Republic. And equally, America is not truly America until it achieves this assimilation. And that is really at the, at the heart of the souls of black folk, that argument. He argues that uh, uh, black people in post-slavery America, in their very striving to conform to the values of America, he said that they represented, uh, they were the truest exponents of the pure human spirit of the Declaration of Independence. I think this is a really important insight because for Du Bois, the problem of the color line is not that America was a sinful, foul, inescapably racist nation, uh, you know, which segregated blacks must reject. Rather, his argument is that it is a great and virtuous republic that will be made even more so when it assimilates those whose thirst for freedom is the epoch of the ideal of American independence. And I think that that's really important because it stands in stark contrast to today's radical view of America as being born in sin and essentially being unfixable, as being a place innately, immovably hostile to people of color. You know, the, and I think that's something worth discussing later on, how the optimism of assimilation 
has given way to the pessimism of essentialized difference, to the pessimism of uh, the celebration of outsider status. Um, and I think what, what Du Bois does in The Soul of Black Folk, he, he addresses what he sees as the main barriers to assimilation, to the erasure of the color line in the eight, late 1800s and the early 1900s. And roughly speaking, uh, he sees three problems with uh, three barriers to the erasure of the color line. Uh, first, there are the problems within post-slavery black communities themselves. Secondly, there is the tendency towards compromise on the part of self-styled self black leaders of uh, the uh, black community. And thirdly, there is what uh, Du Bois refers to as the curse of double consciousness which I think is his most important and valuable idea and really worth dwelling on in this discussion. So on the first problem, the problem of degradation in post-slavery black society, Du Bois uh, really doesn't hold back on this. He, he gives his mostly white readers, most of these essays were written for the Atlantic Monthly, he gives his mostly white readers a, a, an often very grim insight into life in post-slavery communities. And he explains why the people who lived in those communities were so backward. And what he essentially says is that the, the poverty and ignorance of these communities made them susceptible to quackery and demagoguery. And he's incredibly harsh on those questions. And I think he, he also, at that time, was no doubt telling some incredibly important truths. And, and that is one reason why he so often emphasized the importance of, of education. He pushes back against those who, the people in post-slavery communities who we, he would often meet, he would often meet black people in post-slavery communities who would say to him, what need of education do we have since we must always cook and serve? And he was incredibly critical of the people who asked him that question. And on this issue in particular, Du Bois is often accused of being an elitist. He's especially criticized for his vision of what he calls the talented 10th. And uh, the talented 10th is this idea that Du Bois had that around a 10th of black people in post-slavery America were ready for the highest forms of education and the highest forms of culture. Um, and they were the people who should be lifted up to begin with. He also wrote about the rule of inequality. In the Souls of Black Folk, he refers to the rule of inequality, which is the notion that some people are better suited to carpentry and other people are better suited to philosophy. So as he says, make carpenters of carpenters and philosophers of philosophers. I, I think these criticisms of his supposed elitism are actually unfair. Du Bois had an incredibly keen understanding of the unimaginable depravity of these communities. And he was deeply skeptical of the idea that you could transport a man who had suffered the barbarism of slavery into what he called the gilded halls of a place like Harvard University. And for him, the talented 10th, the elevation of black people who were most prepared for the kingdom of culture uh, was seen, he saw that as part of a broader, longer-term effort towards, as he described it, the permanent uplifting and civilization of black men in America. So in keeping with his robust progressive liberalism, this was once again about focusing on the goal of assimilation 
uh, into society and uh, also conformity to the virtues of the American Republic. And then on to the second reason why post-slavery assimilation failed in Du Bois' view, he says that the other, re the, the other core reason is the tendency towards compromise among black leaders or self-styled black leaders. And this is one of the most important arguments that Du Bois pursued constantly during his writing life. In the souls of black folk, it takes the form of a stinging critique of Booker T. Washington. Uh, Washington was a, a black American educator and orator and uh, a self-styled leader of black people post-slavery. And uh, one of his key arguments uh, was that really black people should be satisfied with work and general fairness and, and they shouldn't bother themselves with ideas of voting rights, civil rights, and access to the kingdom of culture. And that outlook, this idea that, you know, black people should be relieved that they were, uh, they had been liberated from slavery and, and count their blessings that they had jobs and general security, that contributed to the Atlanta Compromise of 1895. And the Atlanta Compromise of 1895 was a deal struck between uh, uh, Booker T. Washington and others and the political leaders of the racist South. And this compromise essentially decreed that blacks should give up their demands for full political rights and access to the kingdom of culture in return for two things, basic education and due process in law. And what's interesting is that Du Bois initially supported the Atlanta Compromise but then he turned against it vociferously as outlined in the soul of black souls of black folk. And what he was really expressing in this book is a, a very strong sense of resistance against any form of accommodation to segregation because the Atlanta compromise was, and the work of Booker T. Washington was fundamentally uh, an accommodation to the ideology of segregation and to the essentialism of difference. Um, and I think that's another incredibly important lesson for today and, and a reason why Du Bois' book speaks to us so profoundly, even in the 21st century, his resistance against accommodation to the idea of difference is something that is worth thinking about right now. And then there's the third barrier to assimilation uh, in the post-slavery world as Du Bois saw it, which I think is his most interesting idea, which is the idea of double consciousness. And this is a really important idea in Du Bois' writing. It's been incredibly influential in the world of soci sociology and uh, history. And for Du Bois, the crisis of uh, double consciousness among blacks in post-slavery America really described a situation where there was a dearth of true self-consciousness or a dearth of even the capacity and the opportunity for true self-consciousness. And he said that the problem with um, the black man in the late 1800s and the early 1900s is that he lives in a world which yields him no true self-consciousness. And instead, among black people, he said, there is a sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity he said that inside the American Negro, there is two-ness, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body. And those warring ideals in his view were 
the degraded consciousness of the self as a worker and an aspiring citizen, and the consciousness of the self created by others, by the measuring tape of a hostile, essentialized world. And I think this is an incredibly valuable way of understanding not only the problem of racism in, uh, at the turn of the 20th century uh, and its provocation against universalism. I think that's, that's a very important specific understanding of that time. But I also think the idea of double consciousness is an, is an interesting and valuable way to understand the broader problem of alienation and I would argue the broader problem of um, identity politics that we face in the contemporary period. What Du Bois was interested in was creating the conditions in which double consciousness or alienation or hyper alienation in the case of post-slavery black people. He was interested in creating the conditions in which that might be overcome. And this is the reason he makes the philosophical case for the kingdom of culture, the political case for conformity to the American Republic and the tangible case for political and civil rights. He makes those arguments in order to help create the conditions in which we might overcome double consciousness, or as he says it, in which black people might attain self-conscious manhood, the merging of the double self into a better and truer self. And I think that that's the part of the book that speaks most keenly to people across the ages, regardless of whether we have experienced or understood uh, the conditions that he was writing about in his reports for the Atlantic Monthly. And one of the things that strikes me is that in the contemporary era, we are regressing on precisely the kind of robust liberal um, uh, uh, pro-high culture values and virtues that someone like Du Bois was um, uh, uh, promoting. And uh, increase, in particular, on, in relation to the issue of double consciousness, it now strikes me that we live in an era in which we are encouraged not to overcome double consciousness, not to overcome alienation, not to overcome the two-ness that we often all feel, but rather to make a virtue of those things, to make a virtue of uh, viewing oneself through the measuring tape of a world that is often hostile to us or misunderstanding of what we need in order to be um, uh, co-workers in the kingdom of culture. Um, and I think uh, that line in Du Bois' book, the way in which black people in the South were always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, I think that's such an important insight into the problems of the human condition more broadly and the, uh, the political regression of identitarian politics more specifically. Because what we have today is the sacrifice of the self to the broader cult of group identity, uh, the dissolving of individual agency and consciousness into the uh, group culture of identity politics and its hollow promises. Just to finish, I think Du Bois' most important contribution is around the theme of the sovereign human soul. And one of the things I think is most important about the souls of black folk is that Du Bois is um, very open about the fact that it is both capitalism and socialism, which is often hostile to the uh, realization of the sovereignty of the human soul. And he has a part in the book where he says, he's open to the ideas of socialism, particularly to the extent that they can help to liberate people from the grinding nature of work. 
but he's skeptical of socialism to the extent that it seems to devalue or not take notice of the importance of the sovereign human soul and the unleashing of that individual potential. And I think that's actually a very pertinent critique. I say this as someone who comes from a Marxist background, but I do think one of the weak spots of socialism and Marxism was its neglect of the importance of the sovereign human soul, of the sovereign individual, and the, uh, the, the fact that the sovereign human soul is the building block of a, uh, a better culture and a better society. So I think um, the, the, the key argument in this book, the key ideal, the thing that I think we should take forward is uh, what Du Bois is really getting at, which is the, the ideal of the sovereign individual freely choosing to submit himself to the virtues of community. And that's something I think which is incredibly positive, incredibly valuable. And I think it's a really good guard against the regressive, racialized, essentialized politics of the contemporary period. And what we have today is a situation where the color line has been essentialized and psychologized rather than being overcome. So earlier writers and anti-racists want wanted to erase the color line. In the contemporary period, we have a situation where the color line has been redefined, psychologized, and made a central fact of everyday life, which strikes me as an incredibly backward step on the great intellectual gains made by someone like Du Bois. You've been listening to the talk The Troubled Universalism of the Souls of Black Folk by Brendan O'Neill, which was recorded at the Academy Online event Race and Racism. The next podcast in this series will feature Kunle Ololode, who will reflect on the birth of a nation, the controversial 1915 film by D.W. Griffith. Make sure you don't miss any podcasts of this series by subscribing to Ideas Matter on your favourite podcast feed. And for more details of the Academy event where this lecture was recorded and to access a series of recommended readings to help you explore each of the themes in greater depth, have a look at the accompanying notes to this podcast or visit the Academy at our website, theboi.co.uk. Finally, if you're able to give a financial donation to support this podcast or any of the other BOI charity projects, then head over to our website and hit the donate button. Thanks. <laughs>